1-27. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he went with his disciples into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place where Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said, and Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you that I am he, Jesus answered. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Marcus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him before Annas, who was the father-in-law of Cephas, the high priest that year. Cephas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be good if one person died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the female servant on duty and at the door, and brought Peter in. You are not one of his disciples, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter was always sta- also standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him, still bound, to Cephas, the high priest. As Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, Are you not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. 
one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a cock began to crow. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Now, we are the few this morning. We're the ones that aren't on some sun-drenched beach in some exotic place. But never mind, we'll stick with it. I wonder what um, was on your breakfast table this morning. Maybe it was a packet of Kellogg's cornflakes, in which case you were looking at the second most famous cockerel in history. (laughs) Usurped only by the one that broadcast Peter's ignominious denial. That crowing cockerel announced the failure of a cocksure disciple who by his denial ends up demeaned, disgraced and distraught. Peter was a leader. Peter was impulsive. Peter was bold. He was the first one to step out of the boat. He was the first one to pledge that he would die. He was the first one to draw his sword and start waving it at the high priest's servant's ear. Strong, self-possessed, self-assured, self-confident. Oh yes, self-confident. Last week, uh, Belinda and I had a few days walking in the mountains of Mid Wales around the Elan Valley. And uh, at that point in the Cambrian Mountains, it's only about 10 miles from east to west, but the road from one side to the other takes an, ed- an age to get across. We were wanting to return from the west to the east, from the Strata Florida uh, Abbey to Raida and the Elan Valley, and I had a bright idea. Why don't we drive across the drover's path that goes across the mountains? That'll be shorter, much more beautiful, and far more exciting. The road was rough and narrow. Oh, Chris is pointing to me. Do you want to stick it up, Chris, if it's... Yeah, yeah. The road was rough and narrow. You may be able to see on the uh, top right-hand side, just before we're about to wade through some river. It was potholed, it was muddy, it was not much more than a footpath. And halfway across, the, halfway across the mountain, we came across a sign in the middle of nowhere which said, no motors. My first thought was, why didn't they put that at the beginning? <laughs> Who put it there? What does it mean? Is it serious? Now, I have to say, I've got form on this. It's not the first time it's happened. There was a... a a time we were uh, on holiday in Croatia and uh, we went into Bosnia and we were on a, an unmade mountain road and suddenly there were signs, landmines. I think I said something particularly unhelpful like, don't worry, it's only a hire car. <laughs> but, but you get these signs, warnings. And what do you do? Do you ignore them? Or do you carry on? We were halfway across this mountain anyway. Wasn't much further to go straight on than to go back again. There's another voice, though, that says, heed the warning. It's probably good to turn around. That warning's probably there for your benefit. What would you do? 
What should we have done? What did we do? I'll leave you to work that one out. (laughs) But the point is this. Self-confidence ignores warnings. And the modern world teaches us that whatever you want to do, just believe. You can do it. Be confident. But God says something quite different. Do you remember when in John 15, Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches? He says this, apart from me, you can do nothing. That doesn't talk of independence, that talks of dependence. And in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Self-confidence doesn't have any part in the kingdom of God. If we're not dependent on God, we will fail and we will fall. So here's the nub for Peter. He's self-assured, he's self-confident, and Jesus tries to prepare him for what's ahead. Will he listen or will his arrogance get in the way? Will he heed the warning signs or will he just plough on? In Luke chapter 22, we have a sort of parallel passage to this one in John 18 and the the timing is between the last supper and gethsemane and we read that during that time as they walked together the disciples argued about who would be the greatest don't you imagine that peter was one of those voices can't you hear him say i'll be first i'll be number one but jesus turns to peter And he speaks these harrowing words. He says this, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith will not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, Before the cock crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Jesus is being gracious to Peter. He's praying for Peter. Peter is arrogant. Prison and death, he says. But then the reality check. Before this night is out, you'll deny me three times. So much for your self-confidence. You won't even make it to the end of this night without failing me. Not once, three times. So they reach the Mount of Olives and the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus warns him again, pray that you will not fall into temptation. But he falls asleep. Jesus comes a second time, wakes him up, says the same thing to him. Now, I always used to think when Jesus was saying that to his disciples, that in some way he was scolding them for not supporting him in his hour of need. Jesus was going to the cross. Why aren't my disciples awake and supporting me? But that's not what Jesus is saying. Watch and pray that you do not fall into temptation. It's not about supporting Jesus. It's about preparing yourself. For what is to come. Jesus knew what that night would bring. He, needed, he knew that Peter would need to be prepared. So why isn't Peter heeding this warning? 
Why isn't he doing what Jesus told him to do? Maybe what Jesus said seemed to him to be too simple. Maybe it's a bit meaningless to him. Like in the Old Testament, you remember Naaman who had leprosy and he thought it was beneath him to jump into a muddy river to be cured. To face that night, Jesus was praying. Peter was sleeping. As the night unfolds, Jesus is prepared, but Peter is caught out. Both men would face questioning that night in the chief priest's uh, house. Peter inside, by Annas. Jesus inside, by Annas, and Peter outside, in the courtyard, by the servants. Jesus answered those questions honestly, knowing that it would cost him his life. Peter answered those questions dishonestly, trying to save his life. Now, Peter wasn't denying all that he'd come to understand and believe. He was just unwilling to stand up and be counted at the moment when it counted. Peter had learned the power of God as he spent time with Jesus. He'd seen the dead raised to life. He had cast out demons. He had healed the sick. But what he hadn't come across was the consequence of his own sinful heart. Now let's give Peter some credit. He was in the courtyard when all the other disciples bar one had fled. He was trying to be good to his word. He had said he would never abandon Jesus. And in the darkness, hiding there in the shadows, he was trying to fulfill his promise. But he was keeping his distance. He was conflicted between faith and fear, between love and terror, between courage and cowardice. We read that there was another disciple there. It may have been John. And that other disciple was known to the high priest. So he entered the high priest's house with Jesus. That other disciple was making a public demonstration of being a disciple. That disciple was public about it. And the servant girl says to Peter, are you one of this man's disciples too? T-O-O, are you one of this man's disciples as well? As well as this other disciple? So it wasn't that they were all undercover. Somebody was making a public uh, declaration, but not Peter. Peter is tripped up by a servant girl. A question came to him that he didn't expect from a source that he hadn't anticipated. Maybe if the soldiers had arrested him and interrogated him like they were doing with Jesus, maybe he might have performed better. But here he was taken by surprise. And this is what Jesus meant when he said, you'll be sifted like wheat. How do you sift wheat? You throw it up in the air and let the winds take it away. And that's what happens. Suddenly Peter is thrown up in the air and out blurts this first denial. But the second denial isn't about being tripped up. He's now thought it through. He has denied this second time with an oath. It's like putting your hand on the Bible and say, I swear I don't know know this man. He's caught out with a pattern of lies. One lie leads to another. One denial leads to a second. 
Second denial leads to a third. And then the cock crowed. It was just as Jesus had said. What he had said had come to pass. Now, Jesus didn't make it happen, but Jesus knew it would happen. It happened because Peter wasn't ready, wasn't prepared. He was foolish. He was overconfident. And it led to him falling. And oh, how he had failed. This was the test of his life, and he failed it, not once, not twice, but three times. And then in the parallel passage in Luke chapter 22, we read this. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Straight into Peter's eyes went the gaze of Jesus. Jesus, whose face was covered with spit, probably black and blue from being punched, wearing garments that were torn, certainly blood-stained from the sweat that had oozed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's bound, he's shackled, he's taken across the courtyard and his eyes look straight into Peter's soul. That's a look that Peter will never, ever, ever forget. And Peter went out and he wept bitterly. Bitterly. In the glance of an eye, he becomes a broken man, utterly in despair. And those same eyes that looked straight into Peter's soul are the eyes of Jesus that looked straight into our soul. It's the same gaze of Jesus that looks at us. So why had this happened to Peter? Why did the man of bravado end up broken? The man of confidence end up crushed. A man of daring end up devastated. Well, firstly, he boasted too much. He was strong. He was the man. He could handle anything. I'll follow Christ anywhere. He boasted too much. And he didn't listen. Jesus told him and told him and told him, great danger is waiting for you, Peter. Satan wants to sift you. You will deny me. But he didn't take the word of the Lord seriously. He boasted too much. And he listened too little. And then he didn't pray. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he slept through the prayer meeting. The Lord said, watch and pray unless you enter into temptation. He should have been awake and praying. Instead, he was sleeping. Boasted too much, listened too little, prayed too little. And he acted too fast. He reacted on his own without considering the will of the Lord. He grabbed a sword and started chopping off ears. That wasn't in sync with God's plan. He was driven by his own impulses. He wanted to be the hero, increase his reputation. It's all about pride. Boasting, not listening, not praying, acting impulsively. And finally he followed, but too far away. He'd have been a lot better off if he'd have gone all the way across the courtyard and stood with Jesus. That's always the safest place to be. But he fled with the rest. He followed afar off. He was curious, but he wasn't courageous. He wanted to mingle around by the fire, blend in so that nobody could know he was there. He compromised. He followed too far away. 
And so he falls so low. Bitterly, bitterly, bitterly he wept. Like the betrayer Judas, we wouldn't now be surprised if we read that Peter went out and hanged himself. But though he failed, he isn't Judas. Peter is a believer. Peter, Jesus had prayed that his faith wouldn't fail. And though his confession failed, though his courage failed, his faith didn't fail. Jesus, Judas felt remorse and killed himself. But Peter felt remorse, but his faith didn't fail. Remember on Easter Sunday morning, he's turned up at the tomb. He was there in the upper room. His faith hadn't failed. But at this very moment, devastated, he went somewhere alone to remember the words of Jesus and to remember his foolish self-confidence. And he began to weep bitterly. He doesn't believe in himself anymore. He knows the depths now of which he is capable. And this is true remorse, true repentance. True repentance looks at the horror of sin and says, I will never, ever, ever do that again. And Peter never, ever denied his Lord again. And God welcomes the repentant sinner with open arms. Jesus knew of Peter's faith. He knew the depth of his remorse. And in due course, Peter would remember the words that Jesus said to him. When you turn round from this, you will be able to strengthen your brothers because you will be able to teach them the lesson that you learned about the weakness of the most resolute and self-confident believer. But for now, Peter has to live with that failure. Peter had to live with that failure as he saw Jesus die on the cross. He'd failed his biggest test, and as Jesus' life expired on the cross, he'd been unable to put things right. He was still haunted by that look across the courtyard from Jesus. He had betrayed Jesus' trust in him. He turned his back on him, and in his Saviour's hour of need, he'd abandoned him. Was there any hope left? Was that it? Was that the end? That's a feeling sometimes we can feel. Hopeless failures. We've let God down. Surely he doesn't want me anymore. But you know what? Next week we will say that grace says something totally different. Grace says that the abject failure isn't a failure. Because there is hope and forgiveness in Jesus. Grace says that there is a second chance. Grace says that I love you so much that I won't give up on you that easily. Grace says, welcome back. Welcome home. Let's spend a moment quietly with our heads bowed examining our own hearts. Have we, like Peter, failed our Lord? Are there times when we have failed to heed his warning? Are there times when we've just been self-confident 
and we've omitted to rely on his guidance and his support. Do we feel that we've let him down? Does shame eat away at us? Jesus doesn't come this morning to scold us. He comes to show us mercy. He doesn't come to judge us. He comes to forgive us. Peter wept bitterly, tears of true repentance. Let us spend a moment in quiet as we open our hearts to God and say sorry. Let's feel his touch of forgiveness, of restoration, of renewal. Lord God, we have sinned against you. We have done evil in your sight. We are sorry. And we repent. Have mercy on us. According to your love. Wash away our wrongdoing. Cleanse us from our sin. Renew a right spirit within us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.